Welcome to TTP, Turnbuckle Talk Podcast. You're listening to Keeman Cooper and John Dugan. This podcast is sponsored by Dirty Blondes. Dirty Blondes is a bar located in the heart of Blackpool, famous for their banging tunes, cocktails and 18-inch pizzas. The only place to get a pizza as big as your table across the Foud Coast. If you're ever in Blackpool, check them out. They're on Facebook and on Instagram. That's Dirty Blondes. Blackpool. Let's talk wrestling. Welcome to TTP, Turnbuckle Talk Podcast. Welcome to TTP, Turnbuckle Talk Podcast. Today I'm joined with a very special guest. It's none other than NXT superstar, Sam Gradwell. Good. Um, I appreciate you being here. No worries. Um, let's just jump straight into it. Yeah. So, um, tell me about family life growing up. Um, pretty normal. Well, no, it wasn't normal. It was anything but normal. But uh, I'm the oldest of four. Okay. I've got two two brothers and a sister. Uh, I was only I was the only really wrestling fan uh, growing up. My my brother was into his football. Um, he loved The Undertaker though, like I did an interview not that long ago where I kind of spoke about that, where that, that's one of those things where wrestling kind of brings families together because my little brother didn't like wrestling, didn't, just didn't hold his attention, but whenever The Undertaker was on he'd sit and watch wrestling with right, me okay. and if I ever got a new wrestling game he'd only play it with me if he could be Undertaker and things like that, so characters like that and Kind of, kind of bond, kind of bonds with a family, doesn't it? Yeah. And stuff. Um, it was a bit like growing up was a bit like tumultuous, you know. Um, we got, uh, we got taken off my mum by the police and social services when I was, I think I was about, I think I was maybe twelve. Uh, got dumped on my dad's doorstep. Uh, lived in, I think I lived on a, I lived on a mattress in his kit in his dining room for a while. Okay. And, uh, then when I was, you know, when I was old enough, I, I think I lasted about, lasted two weeks in college and I just thought, no, I'm getting out of that. Um, found a wrestling school in Manchester and never really looked back. Yeah. Tell me about this um, famous Land Before Time videotape. Yeah. So, my granddad used to bring, like, tapes, um, well, I'll explain because probably a lot of your listeners aren't even old enough to remember what VHS is. <laughs> so I, VHS was like before DVD. Like, your listeners even old enough to know DVD anymore. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know, what, what, what are you going to watch things on now other than Netflix? That's it, it's all streaming, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, 
everything was on videotapes and my granddad used to tape films for me every Sunday and he'd bring them around and he brought the Land Before Time around to tapes, absolutely loved it. And that's actually my son, that's actually one of my son's favourite films now, which is pretty really cool, but yeah. And when the when this heartwarming tale of about young dinosaurs ended, the tape flipped over to whatever was taped on before, and it was like an MV, it was like um, an MTV highlight video of Raw, and it flipped over just as Kane was making his entrance, and I was like, what earth is this? Like it was just mental that yeah. like this big red man was just walking to the ring with fire going off everywhere, and his opponent just stood there in the ring. I can't remember who it was, but his opponent just stood there like it's the most normal thing in the world. <laughs> I was, that was it, I, I, was, I was honestly hooked from then. Yeah, so you got into wrestling and then like growing up, who, who was your idol? Uh, Steve Austin. Yeah. Uh, Steve Austin was my first favourite wrestler mm -hmm. and he remained my favourite wrestler for, for, for years and years. Uh, I, I used to have the, uh, I used to have a couple of Stone Cold videos that I used to watch just on repeat, just, mm -hmm. like, just, in, just in rotation I had two, there was the Steve Austin Hell Yeah and the Austin 316 uncensored. Yeah. Like one of them was one of them was significantly better than the other. One of them was I think only about maybe 42 minutes long. But it was uh yeah, I used to watch them on rotation. But then I, as I got a bit older, I started really, really appreciating people like Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys. And mm -hmm. um, guys that were guys that were like young and cool and people that could keep like People that kept me interested from a child to a teenager and things like that and then you get even older and you start appreciating you know your Chris Jericho's, your William Regals, yeah. your Eddie Guerrero's, your Rey Mysterio's and things like that and then you discover the wrestling channel and you discover that there's not only a WWE but there's a New Japan, mm -hmm. there's, there's World of Sport, there's, there's even you know independent wrestling promotions in England and that just kind of blew, that just blew my mind. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Austin because in my research you said that Austin was like the, the the rebel of the class. Yeah, yeah. So what was you like in school? Was you was you the rebel? Was you the quiet kid? I kind of, do you know what? Like by nature, I think I'm quite quiet and reserved until mm -hmm. until I get comfortable, until you get to, until you kind of get to know me. Yeah. So I was I like I kind of teeter between the two. Okay. Uh, but there wasn't. The thing with me is just there's not that much of an in between. I think <laughs> I think I'm either uh, I think I'm either quiet and uh, either quiet and reserved or I'm flipping the tables over. There, yeah. There's not there's not really much of an in between there. I think like I think as I got maybe when I was in year seven, I was really really quiet and really reserved. I think my there, there was quite a lot going on at home at the time as well. I think it was about that time that things kind of got like. Uh, a bit mad at home, mm. and also like your world kind of rocked from going to a class, going from a class of thirty people at the most in primary school to going to a class of hundreds in in high school. Yeah. Um, but then when I got to like year eight, I was just like, you know what? Like, if I'm gonna make friends. I've I've, I've got to be a bit of a rebel here. <laughs> you know, like no one like no one likes people who just uh, stay quiet and do nothing. Yeah. Like. You know, I've got to annoy this teacher here. I've got to wind <laughs> this guy up, you know. And so then, after high school, you, you said you went to wrestling school. So you went to Grand Pro Grand Wrestling. Pro, Grand Pro Wrestling, yeah. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but I think on the 20th of the 2nd, 2009, you had your first match. That's very the, true, yeah. Uh, 
the, the was it ballroom in Wigan? Yes, the Monaco ballroom. Yeah. Do you know who his opponent was? Yeah, William Gaylord. William Gaylord. Yeah. yeah I, I tried to get a few uh, amateur footage of that match. I couldn't. I couldn't find any. But I, I've got it. I'll, uh, yeah. I've, I've got it. Yeah. It, How was it? Like your first match. You know, was there any jitters? Yeah. Yeah. When when I was stood behind the curtain, so Gaylord made his entr- <laughs> made his entrance first. Yeah. In his pink trunks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He made his entrance first. And um, as he was making his entrance, the one thought that kept going through my mind, and this was what comforted me, was there's still time to run. Like there's still still time. Like I can go if I want. Imagine if if you ran. Yeah, imagine. Could be a builder. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, I'm not not handy enough to be a builder. (laughs) I'd be sweeping, putting cones out in Tesco car park. (laughs) Yeah. So then, um, I mean, you, you was at GPW for a long time and you was picking yeah. up matches. Yeah. And then you started to go, I mean, you, you travelled what, like Wigan, Birmingham, Manchester, Leeds, Real, yeah. Butlin, you went all over. Yeah, yeah. And then you went abroad. Yeah. So you went to Barcelona, Holland, China. Yeah, China was first. China was the was first. It? Yeah, China was the first abroad trip I ever got through wrestling. And that was mad. Like, and, that, and, that's just, and that just comes through. That, that came through a guy that I made friends with at GPW, um, a wrestler called, he wrestled as Voodoo. Voodoo, yeah. Yeah, okay. and he's, uh, he, I don't, I, I would need an entirely separate podcast to do this man justice. Yeah. Just, to, just to talk about the kind of guy he is, and to talk about some of his wrestling highlights and some of his ideas. I've seen a few, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the guy's, uh, the guy's absolutely off his nut. Uh, but he, just, he, went to, he went to university in Hong Kong. Okay. And when he went over there, he was he, he went looking for a wrestling school. Uh, he found the HKWF wrestling school over there. Uh, met a guy called Ho Ho Lung, and Ho Ho um, Ho Ho was in the Cruiserweight Classic for the WWE. Uh, he signed with NXT um, after that, and then I think he was with I think he was with NXT for maybe a year or two, and then he asked for his release because his mother unfortunately got got really really ill. And we travel back to Hong Kong to sort of care for her, right. um, which is obviously a massive shame. Uh, but before all that, Ho Ho Lun was—he was always trying to bring wrestling to, to Asia, bring wrestling to Hong Kong, bring mm. wrestling to China. And he got in touch with a guy called Paul, so a guy called Paul Wong got in touch with him. And Paul Wong—he owned like he owned a travel magazine in China. Okay, and. Everything he did, it, it felt like everything he did was just uh, was just some sort of weird scam and publicity publicity stunt to draw attention to this travel magazine. <laughs> so okay, he, yeah. he decided to run wrestling show. He decided to run wrestling shows in China uh, as a way to advertise his travel magazine. Okay, and he brought. He decided he wanted a group of elite wrestlers. It, it, it almost reminded me of. You were in Pokemon, the first movie. Yeah. When Mewtwo is bringing in Pokemon trainers yeah, yeah. all over the world. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that. Like, he was like, he was like this little skinny Chinese drunk Mewtwo. <laughs> that was just bringing in wrestlers from all over the world. So, he, so Ho Ho Lun asked Greg if he knew, so Greg, Greg is Voodoo, sorry. Mm. Uh, he asked Voodoo if he knew anyone uh, from the UK that would, that would want to go, that would want to go over. So, I, I was starting work at the gym I was working at in Blackpool about six o'clock one morning and I got a message from him saying can you send a couple of pictures a couple of matches uh, to this email address 
there's a guy in China that I think might be interested. So I sent I sent the stuff over, and within within 24 hours I had uh, plane tickets. Oh wow, really? One way, one way plane yeah. tickets. Said so I was like, when am I going to be like, when am I going to be back? I who knows. So I was like, yeah, sound. Um, I had to tell my girl. This was like this was like December, so I had to tell my girlfriend at the time that like. Um, I'm just nipping to China. Like, I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to be away for Christmas. Did you miss Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Did I, you? Yeah, I was. I had Christmas in China, oh. and then they just don't celebrate it over there. So that, that was a bit weird. Yeah, and you was with um, a lot of wrestlers in China. The first time it was so. The first tour was just me, Voodoo, uh, an American wrestler called Cipher. Um, two Spanish wrestlers, um, one called Angel Noor and one just called Bad Boy. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, uh, he's, he's a great guy by the way, he's a, he's, he is a good friend, but he just went to his Bad Boy. Uh, funny, funny story actually about, about him, he did, uh, in his first match there, he, went, he made his entrance and these, these reserved Chinese people have just never ever seen wrestling before. Okay. So we kind of had a talk in the line. We've got to educate these people on what wrestling is. We've got to start. Ba- we've got to start basic. Start slow. Don't do anything that's going to blow the mind. You know, we've got to just tell them who's the baby face, who's the heel. Um, you know, keep it simple. Let's educate these people mm-hmm. the right way. And he was the heel, and his his way of keeping it basic and showing them who the heel was was he made his entrance walked straight up to a woman in the audience and just spat in her face oh wow really <laughs> yeah she just got up walked out and never came back wow I mean, that's one way to do it <laughs> yeah isn't it? yeah and uh he got to the back and we were like what did you do you just spat in her face and he just went hey and the heel okay then yeah so did but, i mean it would, was it a good reception all in all with the kind of Chinese, you know. It was so. Um, there was about there was about maybe there was about maybe two hundred people there, which would have been quite impressive and would have been quite nice had it not been in a basketball stadium that held about two thousand people. Okay. So we had it was almost like social distancing. Uh, it was almost <laughs> like a social distancing audience. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it was a uh, yeah. The reception was. With the limited audience that we had, reception was good. Um, it went well enough for them to do a second tour. Um, the second tour, they, I didn't, I didn't want to go a second time because there was like, it was a bit of a nightmare. Like as, as fun as it was, it was a nightmare getting paid. Um, travel was being left to the last minute. The visa situation was getting dangerous. Right. The visa situation was getting dangerous. So I sent Zach Gibson instead. <laughs> just on his own. Uh, so he went and did. He went and did it, and he had and he had a lot of fun. And the, the amount of fun he had over there kind of made me think, oh, I want to go again. So the third time they asked for a lot more wrestlers. So I was this like, "This is where Pete Dunne, isn't it?" I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. So there was just an ab. It's mad to think about it now, but there was me, Zach Gibson, Pete Dunne, C.J. Banks, Tim Wiley. Oh. Voodoo, um, John Schuyler, um, a, a, a I, don't, I don't even know what she. I'm sorry, I don't know what she wrestles as now. Um, she wrestles. I think, I think she wrestles as Clara, Clara Sinclair now. She's uh, married married to Jack Gallagher. Okay, yeah. Um, there's a woman. There was a uh, a woman called Pollyanna. 
Uh, there was just a real like, and there was obviously Ho Ho Lun as well, and some wrestlers from some wrestlers from China that are, that are doing well now. There was a real like, uh, it was a real unique and almost like all star cast of characters there. Uh, but this time we weren't advertising a travel magazine. <laughs> this time, this time we were advertising. This time we were advertising a brothel. But we didn't. Right, we, we, okay. we, we didn't. We didn't know this. So we're just wrestling in the lobby of a hotel. They, they, they've knocked down a fountain to build the ring over it. So we got to the uh, we got to the hotel where we we're going to be wrestling, and just this big fountain there. And we say to the we say to the promoter like, "Oh, where are we going to be wrestling?" He goes, "Oh, just there." And uh, we're like, "Oh, what next to the fountain?" Goes, no, 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 no. And he brings in this little old woman with a bunch of tools on her back. She's just walking <laughs> in like this, and she just takes a hammer and just absolutely caves this fountain in. And she's just there. This little old lady just working on her own, just battering this, this battering this fountain. And uh, if you lifted up the ring, like if you took a big bump in the ring, you could actually feel the remains of the fountain <laughs> underneath, underneath there. Uh, but as you'd be wrestling, they'd be uh, they'd be taking like girls around the audience with like numbers on them, and guys would be like, oh, uh, yeah, guys would be like bidding on them and stuff like wow. that. So we we, we didn't know we didn't know what was going on at the time though. A different, totally different world, isn't uh, it? Absolutely, Mad. absolutely different world. So you done your your tour of China and yeah. you get a trial at the O2 yeah. for, for WWE. Yeah. Now you don't get the call up at this time, do no. you? No. So just tell me a few things of like getting the call up, the match, and then not getting the call up because I've I've heard about a lot of wrestlers who get a trial, don't yeah. get it, and then just get depressed and like that's the end of I, the I road. Know, yeah. I know people. I know people. What's happened to? I, I know people that um, have had tryouts really early into the career. And they sort of like get stars in their eyes, and because there is such a long road ahead, they, they do, yeah, they do. Kind of uh, after they've experienced that, after they've experienced being at that arena, being in that environment, they don't want to go back to you know working for a hundred people. Yeah. Um, I mean, did that happen to you? Did you no, mean- no, honestly. So I've been wrestling maybe I've been wrestling five or six years when I got the. So what happened was, Robbie Brookside took a training seminar at GPW. Um, and after the training seminar was over, he pulled me aside, gave me his card, and said, can you send, send a couple of matches, and a couple of pictures to my email address? Not promising anything, but I'll send them across and see what happens. And then I didn't hear anything for six months. So it was just kind of business as usual. Like you get that card with the WWE logo on it, and you know you kind of you get stars in your eyes there, and you yeah. think that Hollywood here I come. <laughs> but then uh, I didn't hear anything for six months, and eventually I got an email saying we'll invite you to a tryout at the at the Ultra Arena. Um, bring a suit. I'll buy a suit. Hold one. <laughs> you know <laughs> all this stuff. I uh, went to the uh, went to the tryout and I did well. I, d- I did, you know, it was a three day tryout and the tryouts are the tryouts are pretty gruesome. They, I can they, imagine. They, yeah. uh, they, are, they, were, they were really really grueling. It was like three days, uh, three like six hour days of non stop cardio drills. You know, they absolutely yeah. drill you into the ground. Really really test your will. Like there was people, there was people that were there 
in the morning of day one that weren't there in the afternoon of day one. There were people. Well, I mean, if anyone seemed tough enough, exactly, like, yeah. they, they just they don't give you a minute to rest. Yeah, yeah. And so on, on day three, it was kind of like, uh, okay, we're going to do matches today. Um, so you kind of think, right, the, you can't really, you know, the first couple of days, you can prove that you've got good movement, you can prove that you can roll, you can prove that you've got cardio and that mm. you've got will, but you can't really show that much, you know, in, in the remit of a drill. Day three, you're thinking, right, I'm going to have a match now, I'm going to show them what I'm really about, I'm going to really, really, I'm going to, I'm going to blow them away, and I didn't get picked on a match. So, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was kind of, I was really, really disappointed. I thought, well, this is it for me, you know, they don't really, uh, they don't want me. Because mm. it's back to the drawing board, and I was stood by the ring, and William Regal came over to me, and he said, I was, let me ask you something, are you, uh, are you really serious about doing this? Said, yeah, absolutely. And he said, right, what I want you to do is, first of all, he says, he goes, are you married? No, have you got kids? No, you know, well, do yourself a favor and keep it that way. Um, he says, I'm not making any promises. Well, you know, at the minute, you look, you look a bit young, but I can see the way I can, I know where you're at and I can see where you're going in a couple of years when your face hardens up and you know, you've got more reps under your belt I think that I think you've got something and that was the kind of that was the kind of moment that just expanded my world a little bit yeah. you know because it's one thing it's one thing wrestling for an it's one thing wrestling for like small independent companies in the northwest of England and getting good crowd reactions and being told by someone who has only ever done what you've done, you know, that you're doing well and that you've got something. But when someone in that position and someone who's been all over the world and someone that is scouting for the biggest wrestling company in the world says, I think you've I think you might have something, your world just kind of opens up and you kind of think, well, the peak that I thought was possible isn't the peak anymore. That's just my world is just massive now. Yeah. You know the possibilities. The possibilities are endless. Kind of thing. Um, maybe I can go further than I thought I could go. And and after that, so he put me in touch with he put me in touch with Marty Jones. I put me in touch with a guy from Blackpool called Peter Thompson, who gave me piles of old British wrestling DVDs. He said, "You know, don't." He said, "Don't learn to be an American wrestler because if they want an American wrestler, they'll get one from America. Learn, mm. to, learn to be a learn to be a British wrestler, and you know that'll be. You know that that's gonna that's gonna increase your chances of them forking out for a visa. Bring that, that's gonna make them justify bringing you over to the states yeah. and things like that. And I kept in touch with William Regal." Um, Whenever I'd have a, a match I was proud of, I'd send him that. If ever I had new pictures, I'd send him that. And he kept bringing me, every time WWE would tour over here, he'd bring me back for another tryout, or he'd bring me back for extra work. Or well, there was one time that I was the guy that demonstrated the drills of the tryouts. Okay. Um, he, he, so he, re he really, really was sort of really, really um, instrumental in, in my career from that point on. And you finally get the phone call. Yeah. Off of the legal. Yeah. Did 
Did you not come in? For, no. For the NXT UK. No. No. I had a. Uh, I don't know. I'd saw. I'd had an argument with my missus the night before, and I'd gone to stay with my nana and granddad's. And I woke up about seven in the morning, went and sat on the toilet, and my phone just went. And uh, it was a. It was an American number. And I think any wrestler will tell you that when an American when an American number starts ringing your phone, like you start getting, uh, <laughs> you know, your heart starts pounding. So I answered it, and it was William Regal. And I'm, I'm there, sat on the toilet, and my nana was outside the door, going, "Sam, how long, are you, how long are you gonna be in there? How long are you gonna be?" And I'm like, uh, "Just a minute, nana." I was like, "Are you okay?" And he's a. Uh, just said, you know, uh, we've got something coming up um, that I think you'd be suited for. Mm. Do me a favour in the meantime while we get it worked out. Don't sign a contract with anyone else uh, because we want to use you for this thing we've got coming up. And that, that, that was basically how it right. was phrased. We've got so we've got something coming, um, and we want to use we want to use you for it. Um, and then it came up that they were going to do these new developmental contracts. Um, then there was a UK Championship tournament, and then all of a sudden you're doing house shows for WWE. Then NXT UK is a thing, and it's just kind of been one thing after the other. It's just kind of snowballed into what it is now. Yeah, and when NXT came to Blackpool, yeah. when it was coming, like it was huge, like. Yeah. I remember at the time just thinking, oh my god. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it truly like, felt like the beginning of something. Yeah, it was the totally like, being from Blackpool as well, and the fact that it took place two minutes from where we are right now. Mm. Like, it really felt like the talk of the town. Like, and it was, it, it was. Yeah, it yeah. was just the, it, it was one of those things where like, I, I went from, I went from a guy from Blackpool that did a bit of wrestling to like getting recognised, walking, you know, even ho homeless people, homeless people were recognising me, you know. Really? <laughs> yeah. So it was like, <laughs> you know, it was like in, it was like every paper, every poster, like yeah. every bit of media because I was from Blackpool and yeah. it was coming here, like I was on. So it was a, it was a really, really cool, really, really exciting time for sure. And I just want to talk about Blackpool for a minute. People. I mean, if you don't know Blackpool, so it's got the world famous Blackpool Tower. Yeah. It's a tourist town, and people forget that it is a wrestling town. It, it really is. And I, you know me, I love to promote that it's a wrestling town. Yeah. You have wrestlers throughout history: William Regal, obviously, yeah. Big Daddy, Tony St Clair, Chris Masters, Scotty Too Hotty, Ryback. Yeah. Everyone's wrestled here. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and yeah, Blackpool's just a special place. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's kind of like. I feel like it did lose. It lost. It lost that for a while, um, but oh my God, like the, the amount of wrestlers that came from the Pleasure Beach. Yeah. The, you know, even if even if I always say that those wrestlers from the Pleasure Beach, if they didn't go on to bigger and better things, they inspired the people that went on to. They inspired yeah. and taught the people that went on to bigger and better things. Um, yeah, but Black, Blackpool really, I, I can't imagine what the British wrestling landscape would look like if without the Blackpool wrestling scene, like, yeah. without a doubt. And if you ever read William Regal's book, it's yeah. just full of just these quirky and funny stories about Blackpool. Yeah. 
and yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a brilliant town. I love it. I love Blackpool. Yeah, I, I can't ima- I can't imagine not living in Blackpool. You know, so like, I I love the place. Like it gets a bad rap sometimes, but whenever I've, whenever I've been away for a while, there is nothing. There's absolutely nothing better than just coming back and just walking along that pro- walking along that promenade and just seeing the tower and. As cheesy as it sounds, just hearing the sea and just looking out, and there's just no place like home, is there? No. Um, so let's go back to the NXT. Yeah. I was watching a few matches, um, yeah, amateur matches in the NXT match. Yeah. And you don't mince your words, and you no. do remind me of that kind of song called era. Like, yeah. you're very aggressive. Yeah. And I was watching some of like, you have a beautiful um, butterfly suplex, you have the European uppercut. Yeah. Your style yeah. is very aggressive, but it's. You have so much in your arsenal as well. You can yeah. tell you've obviously picked up a bit from everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, what? How? What's your kind of your favourite bit that you picked up from somebody? You know, have you picked up like a, a you know from China or picked up from a certain wrestler? So, like, uh, honestly, like my my arsenal kind of changed when I started training with Marty Jones, and from. If you look at me before I met Marty Jones, I was trying to be an, I was trying to be an American wrestler, right. and and just that's not you can kind of like there's only so far you can go like copying copying someone else's style, mm. and you do kind of have to find what works for you and find what you really. Find. You have to kind of find like what fits you and what yeah. fits uh, what fits your person, what fits your personality, and find and also find what you find what you do well. Because yeah. there's, there's something that might be the in something that might be the in thing. It might be getting gift all over Twitter, and it might be it might be cool. It might be getting all the likes and retweets and everything. But if you don't do it that well, then there's no point. There's no point copying it. Yeah. Going to going and training with Marty Jones and. Almost starting from scratch with this, with this new mindset. So, when you first start training, you you kind of like you're very inex- you're very inexperienced. You don't have a high ring IQ. But then, five or six years in, almost starting from scratch with a new trainer and learning a new style, you've got you kind of got like a bit of ring savvy and a higher ring IQ, higher ring IQ. So, you're in a better position to kind of take what works for you work on what doesn't or put aside what doesn't and really sort of develop develop your own style and things like that sort of hard aggressive that sort of hard aggressive style that Marty Jones and Rocco had mixed with mixed with some you know American high spots and things mm-hmm. like that um, it kind of just it kind of just all fell into place yeah. You know, you um, and the, and also the more you wrestle, the more you wrestle, and the more you wrestle different opponents, um, the more you just pick up, the more you pick up your own style and you pick up what works for you. And you have that kind of British humour where you know yeah. in the promos you call people yogurts. And, Americans uh, don't get it. Americans don't get it <laughs> at all. It's always I, I always find it funny, like uh, getting something in the promos that Americans won't get. Yeah, I always think that's very funny. And I also like if something makes me if something makes me laugh. Then I just think someone else, someone else out there has got to find it funny. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. The promos. Yeah. Yeah, and if it makes like, if it makes me laugh, if it makes my friends laugh, if it makes, um, if it makes my brother laugh and that, then it's it's going in there because someone, we're not the only people with this humour. <laughs> so some, someone will find it funny. Someone will get it. Yeah. But I love the kind of the British humour when Americans are watching. For example, your NXT match. Yeah. Is um, it Huxley? Yeah. He yeah. was all chanting Jesus. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. I don't know if Americans kind of got it, but it was it, it was, was it was a great soundtrack. It was it was very funny. It was very, <laughs> like it wasn't funny at the t- it, it wasn't that funny at the time because we're just there. We're trying to be we're, we're there trying to be serious wrestlers. Now yeah. This serious match and the audience are chanting Jesus. <laughs> and then I, it was it was like what do we do? Like you know what do we what do we do here? Like it was. Considering it was like your WWE debut, yeah. it was it was a little bit distracting, but it was it was very funny. Yeah. Like, as soon as the G, let's go Jesus, Jesus sucks started, <laughs> I was gone. Then I was I was just like I was like, what on earth is this? Like what? I'm, like no one cares what we're doing anymore. Like they're just having fun, but which which is which is obviously which is obviously nice. It is funny. It's, it's very funny to watch that back and just watch me trying to be serious and keep a straight face while they're chanting Jesus Jesus sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's just a bit of humour, you know, like we love the wrestling but we you know, we love to make our own soundtrack. Let's just oh, absolutely, yeah. Um so who would you want to wrestle now? Everyone. Had... Everyone. Everyone. I've been like I've been out for two years with I had, I've had two knee surgeries, I had, yeah. I had two knee surgeries, I had a broken jaw. Obviously, you saw me a few weeks ago. I came in and tried to eat a pizza and couldn't even chew. And I just, I just want to wrestle. I want to wrestle everyone. I want to wrestle as much as much as I can. Every every opponent. Mm-hmm. And I just want to climb the ranks in NXT UK. I believe that. I believe that I can be one of the top boys there. I, I um, agree. I think you, you know, definitely have everything in there to. To be the top superstar, 100%. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I I believe I can do it, and now it's just a time of. It's, I think it's now is now is the time. I've had two years out. I've been watching. I've been watching these boys at NXT UK from seven different camera angles mm. uh, for the last two years. You know, I've I've seen the hairs on the nostrils. <laughs> it's disgusting. You know the. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just I'm ready to I'm ready to get in there now. I'm just ready to do it. So. I mean, going back, you've gone from kind of a bit of a turbulent childhood yeah. to going to you know um, Manchester tra- to train to China yeah. to Holland. Mm-hmm. What is the future for Sam Gradwell? So we're we're back taping NXT UK at BT Sports Studios now. Um, I have had my first matches back. They haven't. Uh, they've not aired yet. Uh, they're going to air very soon. Um, the aim would be to the aim for me now is so the aim fight this 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 is the brilliant thing about WWE and the brilliant thing about wrestling is it's constantly changing, it's constantly morphing and expanding. So my aim five years ago didn't is isn't what my aim is now because my aim now didn't exist five years ago. I wanna take NXT UK, make it as good, make it as popular as it can be. Because um, this is this really is our brand. This is our brand, and this is the future of this. This is the future of British wrestling, like without like without a doubt. Absolutely. Um, once the current once the current climate has you know once once the world has restored some sort of 
restored to some sort of normality. We want to get people into that BT Sports studio. We want to make it our version of Full Sail. We want, we want to do take, we want to do takeovers, pay-per-views, you know. And then I want to go from NXT UK to NXT to Raw to SmackDown to WrestleMania, you know, and take this as far take this as far as I can take it. Yeah, and I think I think like I said, it's a matter of when. Yeah. Yeah, the, like I feel like since I was 18, I've had a lot of potential, and but poten- having a lot of potential takes you only so far. Mm. I'm nearly 30 now. The time for potential is is done. It's the time to just time to just do it. Yeah, it's time. It's time to be everything that everyone said I could be. Amazing. Um, I've, I'm gonna leave it there, but I've. Thoroughly enjoyed this interview. Um, I cannot wait to see Sam Gradwell back in the squared circle. I can't wait either. Thank you very much, mate. Um, thank you for listening. Um, this has been TTP with the amazing NXT superstar Sam Gradwell. Thanks a lot, guys.